the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. We're a little tight this morning. We're, we're not always this packed, but we are a small growing church and we're looking to expand and get us a new place here soon. If you keep coming, maybe you'll get to experience that with us. Uh, we know that you could have went anywhere this morning. You could have went to one of those big rafters churches. And uh, we're, we're glad that you did. And we're glad that you come to this small church in the back of nowhere that probably couldn't even find it on your GPS. But you made your way here. Amen? <clears throat> and you're probably saying, Pastor, what do you mean by a rafters church? I never heard that term. Well, uh, that's my own private little term that I use for those big churches. And we know that, you know, it would be more comfortable sitting in one of those stadium seats somewhere. But, when me and my wife Angie, we had just been married, and this before we gave our hearts to Jesus, we had a new little baby girl, and and our marriage wasn't go, going so well, and I wasn't behaving, if you know what I mean, and we just weren't living for the Lord. But I saw that precious little baby we had, and I thought to myself, we got to at least give her a shot at knowing God, you know, because I had, had a sense of God growing up, and, and I said, plus it couldn't hurt me, I need to get myself straight. So we decided to go to church, and instead of going to a small church, we we intentionally looked for the largest church that we knew of in all of Memphis, Tennessee. And so we went there. We got all gussied up like you did this morning, and we we were thinking we're going to do God a favor and we're going to show up this morning. And so we brought our little baby, and we had her all dressed up in a nice little dress. We dropped her off at the front desk, and we went on. We didn't know if that was the nursery or not, but. We were new at church, you know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we did ask the front desk where the nursery was. We dropped her off. It was such a big church. I said, let's go up to the second story. And so we climbed up and we went to the second story and you got up there. And then there was, you know, the seating just kept going up. And I said, come on, follow me. And we walked all the way to the top. And we was actually almost bumping our head against the steel beams that, that supported that big structure. And that's why I call it a rafters church, because we went all the way up to the rafters. We didn't want nobody to talk to us. We didn't want nobody to shake our hands. We weren't there for all that kind of stuff. We were there to clock in and do God a favor and, and you know, get our lives better make, so he could help us. And so we sat there and... It was back before they had the big screens. You couldn't see the pastor's face up close. I mean, we really needed binoculars to see his mouth moving from up there. It was a huge place. But I don't know. He said something along the way that kind of touched us, and he kind of gave a, a call to come down front if you wanted to give your heart to Jesus or yada, yada, whatever they say, you know, them preachers. And, and so I looked at Angie. I said, we need to go. She said, we sure do. And so we got up, and as we stood up, you know, the air was thin up there at that altitude. I about passed out. You know, my nose started bleeding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I throw in little details that didn't really happen. Okay. But <clears throat> I'm the king of exaggeration. But, but no, it was a long way up there. And, and I looked down at how far he wanted us to come, and I thought, man, if I had a parachute, I could just throw that booger out and fly down there, you know. It would have got there a lot quicker. 
But as it was, we made our way back down the steps. And by the time we went around the foyer and went down the next row of steps, we come walking down there. They had dismissed the church. And there was only a few people milling around by the time we got down there. <laughs> and it, the, the pastor was still there, so we went up there and started talking to him. And, and I'll finish this story a little bit later, but this is just where it's starting to get good. But let's go ahead and get into the Word. Matthew 17, verse 22. We'll start there today. Are you thankful for the Word of God? Are you glad He didn't leave us down here without any instructions? I am. And the more I dig into this Word, the more I find myself and what I'm supposed to be. Well, anyway... Jesus gathers his disciples, and it says, After they had gathered again in Galilee, Jesus told them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. Now, he's talking in third person. He calls himself the Son of Man. Verse 23 says, He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. And the disciples were filled with joy. What? I mean, surely that when he announced that he would be risen from the dead, they were filled with grief. Well, good grief. Why are they filled with grief? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. You see, the disciples weren't paying attention. They only heard what they wanted to hear. In fact, he had told them time and time again, if you look through the Gospels, plenty of times Jesus had told them, just in chapter 16, if you went back a chapter, he is telling them in great detail what he would suffer when he went to Jerusalem and that he would be raised from the dead. And old Peter jumps up and says, uh-uh. Peter rebuked God to his face. That Peter something else, wasn't he? He said, no, we're not going to let this happen to you, Lord. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter? No, he didn't say Peter. He said, Satan, get behind me. Because you're only thinking about the things of man. You're not thinking about the things of God. Now, I don't think he was calling Peter Satan. I think he was talking to the controlling spirits that was blinding the eyes of Peter, blinding the ears of Peter. Can you blind ears? I don't know. But see, that's what we do, isn't it? We only think about our things, and we don't think about the things of God very often. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, Satan, who is the little g God of this world, in other words, he has temporary ownership down here, he's in charge, if you hadn't noticed, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Or you might say he's blinded the minds of those who don't want to believe. I mean, it, he didn't have to work hard to do it for some of us. I don't know what it is that we don't want to believe. I guess we, we, we're happy with the way things are going. We like doing what we're doing. We don't want to be told anything else. He has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, and they're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. Say good news. People, it's good news. What God is trying to get to you is good news. Don't cut him off and just hear what you want to hear. Jesus' eyes, the whole 33 years that he was down here, he had them wide open, so to speak. I talked about last week how Jesus had to have a good attitude to get through Passion Week. I mean, 
There was a bunch of people coming against him. And, and he had his eyes wide open. He lived by convictions and purpose. Convictions meaning he had already determined what he believed and purpose was what he's going to do with what he believes. So Jesus lived by his convictions and his purpose. And most of us want to live by our flesh, how we feel at the moment, and the circumstance, which determines how we feel at the moment. And we're like on a wave at sea. We're just tossed to and fro all over the place. We're up and down, happy one minute, sad the next. But really... We should be like Jesus, and we should know what we believe, and we should live according to our purpose in it. Can I get an amen? amen? See, flesh and blood will never endure the cross that we are asked to bear. If Jesus would have got over in the flesh, what would have happened? He wouldn't have been like a, a lamb that was silent before his shears, he would have spoke up. His flesh would have had to say something. And if he would have said something, guess what? We'd have got what we deserved. But the Father's will wouldn't have been done. So he didn't say nothing. Is that proper English? Y'all don't know, I'm, I'm from Mississippi. <clears throat> he operated by his convictions and his purpose, and he was able to bear his cross. He was able to carry his cross up that old road to a hill called Golgotha or Calvary where they threw the cross down and threw him on it and took three nails and put one in each hand and one through his feet and they raised him up. Just that word hanging there just the thought of my body weight hanging on a few nails. Knowing that I could come down at any moment, call a legion of angels down to get me off of here. But his convictions and his purpose kept him on your cross. It was his love. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And you are the joy that was set before him. That the day that the scales would come off of your eyes and you would see and begin to live by conviction and purpose. And he was up there. And the first thing he says to the people who had just nailed those nails through, I'm sure they kicked him, spit on him, laughed at him. And the Pharisees are running around making a mockery of him, laughing. Come down from there if you be the Son of Man. Come down from there and prove yourself. Ah, oh, he saved others. He couldn't save himself. You know what, what I'd have had to say. It to, but he didn't say a thing. You know what he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the love of God for you. And I was thinking, you know what? Hmm. He could say that to them. And what's he thinking about while he's up there? Well, he's thinking about getting the thief on the cross next to him saved. He's thinking about mama, taking care of mama. But after three hours of hanging there, hanging, are you getting the image of hanging there? The torment, after three hours, it said the earth grew dark and the sun stopped shining. And I'm thinking to myself, is that when God poured on him the sins of us all? 
is that when God had to turn His face because He who knew no sin had suddenly become sin for us? Our sin upon Him to the point that Jesus says, My God, my God, why have Thou forsaken me? He had never experienced separation. He had never been apart from the Father. You see, He's the Alpha and the Omega. He was the one that created this place. He was here before the beginning, and He'll be here after the end. But He had never, ever experienced separation from the Father. And there He is. The sin so dark, and the Father's face turned for the first time. My God. And from the cross, Jesus has one request. He told the people, I thirst. And so they went and they found an old mop bucket full of sour wine, wine that had turned to vinegar, and they put it on a sponge and stuck it on a stick, and they put the vinegar to his bruised and bloody lips that they had beat to a pulp. Sour wine. And I wonder today, Many of us, God asks us any little thing. Could you, could you spend some time with me? Maybe could you look at my word today? Maybe could, could, we, could we get to know one another? Could you, could you get a part of the church? Could you, could you use some of the gifts that I called you? And what does he get? He gets a sour wine from us. <laughs> no, I can't, God. You know, I got things to do. I got important stuff. Even today, just a simple request from Jesus. He still met with sour wine. <laughs> it's not funny, is it? Where was I at before I interrupted myself? Oh, yeah. Then what does he say? He says it is finished because he bore it. He did the work that he came to do. He, he bore his cross. And he finished the work that he came to do. And then despite not feeling that God was with him, feeling completely all alone and separated, because he lived by convictions and purpose, and because he had faith in his heart, he said to the Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He didn't have to feel it. He didn't have to see it. Even though it was dark all around him, he committed his hands, his life into the hands of the one he loved. And he had faith in and so they stuck him with the spear in his side and blood and water came out. His last drop of blood hit the ground and they allowed some men to come and pull him off the cross and, and they put him in a borrowed tomb. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the creator of the world. And he came into the world he created and we couldn't find room for him at the end for him to even be born here. We couldn't find one room for him. <laughs> and he's on the cross, and he asks for one simple thing, and we give him sour wine, and then he dies, and we can't even find his own tomb. We got to get put him in a borrowed tomb. Well, that's okay. He wasn't going to be there but for a minute. <laughs> I'm not sure if I would have wanted to come to this earth. But for the Friday afternoon, all day Saturday, God is dead. The earth shudders. 
I wonder if the birds were singing that day. Luke 24, verse 1, it says, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. People are still looking for it today, but they're not going to find it. And as they stood there puzzled, two men appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. And the men, the women were terrified, and they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen! <laughs> Say that again. He is risen! He is risen from the dead. The angels verified it. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. Remember all that? It says, then they remembered. They finally got it. They finally got it. Then they remembered what he had said. Has he been really resurrected to you? I mean, I know you come here because you say you believe that he's, you know, you're celebrating the resurrection. Or maybe you just come here because you couldn't find a rafters church on, on the GPS or something. But is he really resurrected to you? Now, few things have more historical documentation than the crucifixion. I mean, you can look in the history books and secular people, government officials of the time, they all say there was a Galilean named Jesus who was crucified, who had rode in on a donkey, and, and all of what happened in Jerusalem, that's doc documented. Historical evidence, much of it. And even his harshest critics, they can't deny that when they went to the tomb, they found it empty. And even in, in the, the, the Jewish leaders, they tried to make up an excuse. Oh, his disciples must have come and stolen the body. But they did not deny that the tomb was empty and they still can't find his bones. And then the risen Jesus. It says he appeared to over 500 people at one time. And he appeared to others. In 12 different occasions over a 40-day period. Now let me ask you, if he wasn't really risen when he died, shouldn't have Christianity have died with him? Well, the disciples are like, well, I guess we was wrong. If all those 500 people are still alive and you can go ask them at, at that time, did you really see Jesus in there? They must have all been saying, yeah, because Christianity spread like wildfire. And those very disciples who had chickened out in the garden and des deserted him, are now willing to give their lives and suffer for the message that Jesus Christ is risen. How do you explain that? And how do you explain all the billions of lives that have been impacted by that resurrection since then? I mean, these disciples were willing to die. Nobody's willing to die for a lie. I mean, you may die for one if you don't realize it's a lie. 
But they saw him die. They must have saw him risen to be willing to die afterwards. So, you know what? It's really a question, do you want to believe? I mean, the evidence is right there. The question is, do you, do you want to believe? Or do you, are you willfully blind? You know, there's been a lot of good atheists try to debunk the resurrection of Jesus Christ and walk away a Christian. Maybe at least we should try to, try to prove it's not true. Maybe we should at least have put enough important. Because what are the implications of if a man did rise from the dead, huh? 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, If Christ is not raised... See, the Apostle Paul is bringing this argument. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. He's telling the Christians, you're believing a lie if he's not resurrected. You're on your way to hell. The wrath of God still abides upon you. He says in verse 18, in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. All your loved ones you thought was in heaven, they ain't. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we're more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has raised from the dead. It's a fact. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. What are the implications of a man coming back from the dead? Do you know any? Do you have any friends that can say, I'm going to die, but I'll be back. I mean, superheroes don't even say that they're coming back from the dead. But Jesus says, he told them time and time again, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is how they're going to kill me. Things that he couldn't have known. But on the third day, I will be risen. And he did it. If somebody has that kind of control over death itself, and now he holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave, by the way. And if he can say that and then perform that, then shouldn't we look back and say, what did he say before this? We might need to start paying attention. i, I got to stop hitting myself. I'm going to be dizzy by the end of the service. <laughs> In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said, I am, well, we could stop there. He said, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Why? Because I hold the keys. I hold the keys. Jesus says, he who has me has life. He who doesn't, well, he doesn't. What if what he said in John 14, 6 is true? When he said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. What if this is true? Aren't these eternal implications? This is heaven or hell. Did Christ rise from the dead? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. What about the implications for our everyday lives? 
I think that's what really proves whether we believe it or not. I was watching a video on YouTube or Facebook or somewhere, and there was a dad sitting across from his little son, and he had four or three red Solo cups. And he was sitting there, he said, Son, he said, I'm going to put this $5 bill under this cup. He said, if you can tell me, he said, whichever cup you choose, you can have. And he started playing the shell game. You know what I'm talking about? He started moving them around. But he was very deliberate. You could tell where the $5 bill was the whole time, unless he was just this great magician, magician that fooled me. But you could tell where the cup was. Kind of ended up over here. And the son said, he said, look under there. He lifted it up. There was the $5 bill. And the boy snatched that $5 up. And he's like, yeah. And the dad says, but look under here. And he lifted up the other two. And there's $100 bills. What if the devil has been playing a shell game with us? What if he has strung us along after insignificant things in our life when meanwhile God wants us to get, a, get the true treasure? To find real life. What if the devil has blinded our eyes and we have only believed to the point we want to believe so that we can keep our distance so nobody tells me what to do because our pride is still wanting to be in charge of our life. And we're unwilling to hear the truth. Am I saying this out loud? What if we've been playing Rafters Church? I only say this not to make you feel bad if that's you. I'm just telling you, look. There's much more prizes under the other two cups. God has a better way than the devil. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I come that you may have life and life more abundantly. I'm trying to get you life because I love you. If our response to Jesus' resurrection doesn't affect some sort of resurrection in our everyday lives, then we need to parachute down here to the altar. I mean, we need to come quick. Or we at least need to examine some what-ifs in our life. Maybe I can at least get you to think for a moment. What if when Jesus was talking about heaven and hell, they're real places? And what if you will spend eternity in one or the other? And hell is so awful that he couldn't bear the thought of you going there, so God sent his only begotten son to bear your sins on his cross, on your cross. What if he wanted you so bad to, to realize the beauty of his eternal life that he came and gave his life? You say, well, God was serious about that sin stuff? Deadly serious. Well, why don't God just forgive everybody? He can't. He's a just judge. He said, without the shedding of blood, there'll be no remission of sins. The debt had to be paid. And it was either you paying it or it was his son Jesus paying it. And it's still the same today. Your choice, heaven or hell. Resurrection or stay in your death. What if? But what if Jesus meant it for you when he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing.
What if it weren't just for those who had nailed him to the cross? What if he was thinking ahead to that joy set before him? What if he was offering forgiveness to all who would receive? And you're thinking, but my sin's too big for Jesus. No, nobody's sin is too big for the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. The sin debt has been paid. The question now is, will you receive your forgiveness? Got some more what-ifs for you. Hang on. I'm not going long today. What if he meant that stuff he said about, I will build my church? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I know the common thing, the popular thing to do now is to run down to church and be one of those people that says, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. So you love Jesus, but you hate his bride. I know there's some churches have messed up and give us all a bad reputation, and I know all that, we're ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but what if Jesus is still building his church, and we're not getting hooked up with the thing that God has for us to do here? The first thing we did as a small church is we began to ask God, who are we as a church? And if you look at our banners on the walls, you begin to see the questions God has answered for us. And our who is, we're a warm, fun-loving family. Look right there. Eager to reach out with God's love to all who have lost their way. Everyone matters. That's you. You matter to us. We're a hospital of hope and a fire igniting the passionate pursuit of true purpose in people's lives. And isn't that what the church is supposed to be about where everyone matters and we're trying to bring in the, the hurting and the needy and the lost? We're a hospital of hope. We're trying to create hope in the world again. We're trying to uh, bring light into a dark world. And we're trying to get you to see, ignite a fire of passionate pursuit in your life of true purpose. See, you weren't born by accident. You're not supposed to live on those waves. But there is a purpose and a direction and a course that God has for you to use the specific gifts that God has for your life. And the church is here to help you find those things. And so he, he's like, I want a big family down there. I want a refuge that people can go to. I want sanctuary cities, so to speak, and the, for the church to be a sanctuary so people can come and feel apart. No matter what they look like. No matter what they've been through. And that's why the church gets a bad rap a lot of times because some of those people that come off the streets and are hurting and they don't know a thing about Jesus and they, they act a certain way and they blame the church because the certain people do certain things. But you don't go to the hospital and blame the sick people for being sick, do you? We're a hospital of hope. And we don't have it all together. We're just humans. We're just trying to, we're seeing through a glass darkly. We're trying to hear the plan of God. But at least we're trying there ain't nobody out there trying to do the will of God. They're trying to do the will of self. And their eyes are blinded by Satan. What if? What if I have, what if you have that God-given purpose? And maybe you need to start dreaming again. I know you had dreams when you was a kid, but I'm sure the world has beat it out of you by now. 
Now you're just, oh, if I can just get through to retirement, I'll cash in that 401k, we'll get an RV, we'll be gone. Until then, I'm looking forward to Friday. And I'm dreading all weekend, I'm dreading Monday. Is that what, is that what life has become? You need to start dreaming about who God created you to be. At first you dreamed you wanted what you wanted because you didn't know any better. I want to be an astronaut. You just chose something out of the blue sky. But I'm telling you, if you will be a house of prayer and you will have communication with God, He will show you who you are meant to be. And then you can become the best you that you were created to be. What if I've been given access to an eternal kingdom and I'm spending all my time in some fading away one, some temporary thing. What what if I did gain the whole world and lose my own soul? What good would that be? There's nothing, there's no pursuit in this world worth your soul and being right with God. There's no feeling like laying your head on that pillow at night and saying I'm right with God. It's all worth it if my whole life was like Job's. If I had to endure the cross and all the things that Jesus did, it would still be worth it to know that I'm right with God. And this light affliction is but for a moment, but it worketh for us a far greater weight of glory to come in the life to come. Because I know where I'm going. And I know who I belong to. And I know who's, that, that all things are going to be made new on that other side. I got a question for some of you who just haven't been loved well. What if God sees you? What if He knows you? And what if He loves you through and through? You know, but pastor, I've done a lot of... I don't care. But you don't know the things I think. Man, my mind goes into these terrible places and I, I despise my own self. It doesn't matter. That's the sin in you. That's the thing Jesus is trying to forgive you of and disperse from your life and bring you into a new existence. He's trying to resurrect you. He was resurrected. His, his task now is for you to be resurrected and to understand that you are loved. And you only have to look around, look on the, the, the pews or the seats next to you to see lives that have been resurrected by this very same love that I'm telling you about. Smile if your life has been resurrected. These are people, you, well, they're just weird Christian folk. We are weird. We're crazy. We're crazy for Jesus, man. We're a peculiar people. I'm telling you, we're not ashamed of that we're going to heaven. Y'all just need a crutch. Absolutely, I need all the help I can get. I'm a nut, but I'm screwed on to the right bolt. <laughs> you can be cool all you want to. You'll be wishing for some cool in hell. I don't know where I get these things, Joe. I'm going to get myself in trouble. I better go back on my nose. What if? What if God's love demands a response? You mean he was serious about that great commandment to love him and love our neighbor? Yeah. 
he was serious about that great commission thing where we're supposed to make disciples and help other people find this love. Yeah. What if? What if there's there's a deeper purpose than just your 401k? Some of you young people don't even know what a 401k is. That's a bad. <laughs> it's your retirement savings, your IRA, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I'm just asking, what if? What if you've thought that this is all there is to life this whole time? And you were wrong. I know some of us never admit that we're wrong. And we, we just can't grasp the thought that maybe I have missed the whole point of my life. And I know that's a tough thing for you to have to, to think that maybe. But you know what? I was 32 years old. And I was still a raptor church guy. And if you would have asked me, I was going to heaven, but I wasn't. I didn't know the first thing about a relationship with God. But I was confident that I knew everything. And that's our pride. And I'm asking you to let down your pride today and confront yourself and say, what if I thought this is all there is to life, but I've been wrong? What if the devil has blinded my eyes? What if it's time we tell him, Satan, get behind me? You've blinded me long enough. I've listened to your lies. I've followed your little carrot that you've dangled out in front of me and it's brought no satisfaction into my life. What if this could be the first day of the rest of your resurrected life? And why couldn't it be? Why couldn't it be? You make the decision. Jesus said, my work is finished. Your work is to believe. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus lives, I can live. I can have a living hope because of His resurrection. But I got to realize that He really was resurrection. Do, do you have that living hope? Are you just breathing? I know I get passionate preaching sometimes. I'm sorry I spit all over them. They're going to start wearing goggles to church. But I, I can't just come in. I can't bear the thought of just coming in here preaching some ho-hum Easter history lesson, having getting a few nods and having everybody walk away unchanged. I just can't bear that thought. <laughs> Listen to me. And th this is, I'm closing. Jesus really was resurrected. What are the implications? Has there been a resurrection in your life because of it? Well, I had parachuted down out of that rafters church. Actually, I'd walked around and came down, and I came before that preacher, and I got there, and he started telling me something about all this resurrection and how I could have a new life and how Jesus had died on the cross for me and everything I've told you here today. And I was like, hurry up, man, so I can say my piece. 
I wasn't listening to a thing he was saying. You, you got a habit of doing that? And so he told me all this stuff, and I said, yeah, yeah, uh, but I'm here because I want to be a better man. I want to be a better husband to my wife. I want to be a better father to my children. We want to join the church. And I guess he wasn't listening because he led me through the sinner's prayer. <coughs> and I said the sinner's prayer, but there was no resurrection in my life afterwards because I wasn't listening. It had meant nothing to me. There was no change. And so I went on a couple of years after the Rafter Church experience. And things got worse. And I eventually came to the end of myself, where sadly is where most of us have to get. doesn't have to be like that. But I got to the end of myself. I was about to lose my wife, which means I would have lost my family as I knew it. I was about to lose everything. I was tired of my own self. And somebody suggested, why don't y'all go to church with us? And I said, well, we'll try it again. And this time we went to a smaller church. And it was this church. And this time when they told me that Jesus had died on my cross and he was resurrected so that I could be, I listened. And I received forgiveness of my sins. And God sent his spirit into my heart. And now I have the power to live out the good person that I wanted to be that couldn't be without Christ. He changed everything. His love has the power to change everything. And I want to ask you today, I'm not saying there's a difference in the rafters church or the little churches, big churches versus small churches. They did the right thing at the big church. They tried to tell me. I just wasn't ready to listen. It don't matter what church you're in. The question is, are you willing to listen to the gospel? The good news. And so what if you're not here by accident today? What if you thought you just got all gussied up and I was just going to do my, my Easter thing, get my Easter thing on, and then I'm going back to my regular life? And God said, wait a minute. I'd like those scales to come off your eyes today and you, you be honest with yourself. And you'd be willing to make a decision that will affect your eternity with eternal implications. And not only that, day-to-day -day implications. Because my life meant nothing to me before, but now it's important to me because I have hope and I have purpose and I have direction and I know in whom I believe and I love Him more now. The more you get to know Him, you will realize that He is the pearl of a great price. He is what it's all about. He is, the relationship is the best part and that's what we run from. But maybe you're not to that point to hear that yet. But maybe you're to the point to hear that maybe you don't have to go to hell. And maybe you're to the point where you realize that something needs to change in my life and I need to have hope. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.